Thanks for tuning in to the Follow Church weekly message. Our hope and prayer is that you will find this message uplifting and challenging as we seek to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. So Romans 1, 1-17. Paul, a servant of, Je- of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the death, from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you, but I've been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I may have a harvest among you, just as I have had among other Gentiles. I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Well, the start of 2018, I really sense that this year would be a year that we would go deeper as a church. Um, By God's grace, we've grown fairly quickly. That's an amazing blessing. Uh, We embrace growth as a church. And by God's grace, we pray that we continue to grow wider as new people come to follow or move into this region and join us on a mission to see Jesus lifted high over the region of Officer. And so we're excited about growth. We want to see people saved. And we're unapologetic about that. We want to. We expect to keep growing. But I sense this year would be a year that we'd go deeper. And we want to be a church that grows wide, and deep simultaneously as we grow deeper in our faith. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul talks about starting on milk and then like an infant, but once you've developed, it's important that you move on from milk to solid food, just like any child as they develop. Now, I can't remember the first day I moved from milk to solid food, but I'm pretty sure it'd be a day of great rejoicing. I remember when I was in high school, my mum used to make me plain cheese sandwiches every day, And I got to the point that if I ever saw another plain cheese sandwich, I would have got the shakes. And I reckon it was probably the same with milk. Well, I had milk as an infant, like we all do, but there probably came a time when I was just sick of milk, and I reckon my eyes would have lit up the first day I saw solid food. And I can just imagine biting into that first piece of meat, you know, or some veggies. Okay, maybe not veggies, but like biscuits. (laughs) 
or cake. Do you go straight from milk to cake? I'm not sure, but sounds like a good idea. But I, I reckon when I moved from milk to solid food, it would have been a great moment. I would have been thrilled about that. The writer of Hebrews says in a similar way, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. Now, let me just clarify that. We never move on from Jesus. We focus on Jesus every day. He's our vision. He's the center of our faith. We come back and we remember what he's done for us over and over again. But as we mature as Christians, God also wants us to go deeper into his word to have a greater understanding of his character, who he is, and all that he's done for us. And so we've got to move on to maturity. And I think it's, it's really sad that many Christians don't. They accept Jesus at an elementary level, but then it's like a golden ticket to heaven that they just sort of sit back and now wait until Jesus returns or they head off to heaven and they don't ever really develop any further in their faith. But I pray that we as a community of Christ followers would always have a passion for God's word and that we would dig deeper and we would explore and wrestle with Scripture together, and that we would come to understand even more of his beauty and his character, and that the joy of that knowledge would actually grip our hearts afresh every single day. With all this in mind, we decided that this year we would teach through the book of Romans. And so today we're commencing that new series, and it's called The Big Stuff. And it's called The Big Stuff because Romans is a book that explores so many key aspects of our faith. Romans is the most systematic of Paul's letters, and it systematically preaches through the gospel. And even though it's a letter written to a specific church in Rome, one commentator says it reads more like an elaborate theological essay than it does a letter. And so I'm really excited about this series because we're going to explore some of the big stuff together. But if I'm honest with you this morning, I'm also a little daunted about it because it's a deeply theological book with lots of themes to grasp and hopefully understand together. When I was young, we used to spend a lot of our childhood at a place called Blair Gary. If you've ever been to Blair Gary, you probably know Blair Gary Back Beach and particularly the rock pool at Blair Gary Back Beach. It's this beautiful rock pool. It's very deep. And by God's grace, there's this beautifully shaped rock right on the edge of the rock pool. And you can climb up the back of it. And it has three natural launching pads at about three metres, seven metres and ten metres. And so I remember the first time I ever climbed up the back of that rock and went to the top level, uh, the ten metre level on the rock. And I've got to tell you, it's a lot higher up there when you're up there than it is when you're down on the ground. It looks easy down there and it looks quite difficult up there. And so I remember vividly standing on the edge of the rock looking over into the rock pool. And the reason I've never forgotten this is because I can remember the heckling that was happening down below. My friends were saying, come on, jump. Don't be a wimp. Jump, jump. And I knew I had no choice. On the edge of that rock looking down, I had to jump or else I would be chicken. And that wasn't going to happen with all my friends watching. And so I stood there and I knew as I jumped it was going to be a lot of fun, but I was also kind of daunted because I knew I was going to go down deep when I hit the water and it was a very high level. And so I was very apprehensive while looking over the edge. And I've got to say, I've got a similar feeling this morning. As we stand on the edge of the book of Romans, as we prepare ourselves to dive into this book, I'm excited and a little apprehensive because I know we're going to go deep together. And we're going to wrestle together. And I'm sure there's a lot of this that we'll all agree on. But I'm almost just as sure that there'll be some aspects in Romans that we've got very varied opinions on, very different opinions on some of this stuff. And I actually think that's a good thing, that we wrestle together as long as we do it in love. 
And so it's exciting, standing on the edge today, ready to launch into this series. The famous preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones spent 12 years preaching through this one book, and he didn't even finish it. And he didn't finish it because he got to a chapter about joy, and he didn't feel he was joyful enough to continue preaching. That's what happens when you preach through one book for 12 years. And so I hope when we get to that chapter that I've got enough joy in my heart that we can finish this series. Uh, His rate was 12 months per chapter. And we too are going to spend a considerable amount of time on Romans. This will be the longest series in our short history, but we probably will only get to 11 years because I think 12 is just a little bit too excessive. But in all seriousness, we're going to spend the rest of the year outside of December uh, on the book of Romans, and we won't quite finish it this year. So we'll finish it up early in 2019. But as we go deeper into this book, I don't want you for one second to think that this is merely an intellectual exercise. This will be intellectual. There's a lot of deep stuff we've got to grasp. But it will be so much more than that because the Bible is more than just some ancient text or some manual book for life. It is the living, active Word of God. It is absolute truth that is relevant and true through every generation, in every context, in every culture. And as you read and explore God's Word, it will change your life. We have a saying at Follow that goes like this. If our theology doesn't go from our head to our heart, to our feet as we go and back to our mouth as we share the gospel, then it's an immature theology. It's an incomplete theology. It's an immature spirituality. If our theology doesn't go from our head to our heart, to our feet as we go and back to our mouth as we share the gospel, it's an incomplete theology and it's an immature spirituality. Mature faith always has an outward flow. And so as we go through this stunning letter to the Romans, I believe it can challenge us to the core. It can change us from the inside out. And if we open our hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us, we will be changed people. And so as we go deeper into this book, I pray that it will go deeper into our souls and God will use it to transform our lives. And as we see in the first chapter, that's exactly what God did in the life of the person who wrote this letter in the first place. And so being the first message in the series, I think it's important to look at some of the background and There'll be a little bit of double up with the, with the video, but I want to look first at all who the author of the book is. The author of the letter of Romans is the Apostle Paul. And as we look at, back at his wonderful life, with the benefit of hindsight, we regard him as a wonderful man. We look at him and we say, well, he was a church planter and he was a pioneer and he was a, a mentor and he was a master theologian and, and he was a, a great supporter of many people. He took the gospel right to the known world. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. We go, Paul was a wonderful man. But many of you would also be aware aware of the story of Paul's life before he became Paul. And in many ways, he wasn't such a great person. He was always a very religious man. But who here knows that being a religious person doesn't always make you a great person? I think we've seen that through scandals and stuff in recent years. It doesn't make you a great person. But he was always a very religious man. He was part of a religious sect called the Pharisees, and he was kind of like the pin-up boy of that sect. He was a self-proclaimed Pharisees, Pharisee of Pharisees. And this group of people saw themselves as the religious leaders who were obsessed by keeping the law. And they were so obsessed that they didn't just keep the original law God gave them, but they built hundreds of other laws around the original commands uh, to try and ensure that they wouldn't break the original ones. Now, of course, that didn't work, but they liked to pretend that it did. They liked to pretend that they were better than everyone else, and they were really just hypocrites. And as we read the New Testament, we see religion at its worst in the lives of some of these Pharisees. 
So when Jesus and the Christians came along talking about a new covenant where God was more concerned about the internal state of our heart than he was about the external keepings of a religion, they were pretty angry about it. And so Paul was at that stage called Saul, and he made it his life's purpose to travel from house to house persecuting Christians. And so he'd grab men and women and kids, and he'd drag them out, and he'd throw a heap of them in jail, and he'd persecute them in all sorts of ways, and he made their life a living nightmare. And it was on one of these persecution missions on the road to Damascus that the risen Jesus appeared to Paul. And if you remember the story, there was a bright light as Jesus appeared to him, and it was so bright that Paul was struck blind, or Saul was struck blind. And in one of the greatest ironies of Scripture, in that moment when he was physically blind, for the first time in his life, his eyes were opened, and he was spiritually able to see Jesus for the very first time. In that one encounter, Jesus turned his life upside down. And as a result of that life-changing encounter, God chose Saul, changed his name to Paul, and used the same passion and energy not to continue persecuting the church, but instead for Paul to become a champion of it. And so Paul spent the rest of his life traveling the known world, risking his life. This letter was on his third missionary journey around the world, and his mission was now to go and share the good news of Jesus to the very same people, and about the very same Jesus he persecuted people for following in the first place. And so this is how Paul introduces himself in the very first verse of this letter to the Romans. And so let's listen to his introduction. Verse 1, Romans chapter 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Let's just pause there for a moment because I think what we see in that one statement is the the true posture of a truly spiritual leader. Paul, a servant of... Of Jesus, You know, leadership these days in our world is often characterized by, you know, power and position and prestige and privilege. And I think the church at many times has adopted that kind of mindset when it comes to leadership. And leadership's become about you um, making my cup of tea and carrying my case and doing everything I want you to do for me because I'm the leader and I'm the leader, so that means I'm the boss. Well, Paul's saying that's not the kind of leadership that he's been called to, where you constantly climb the ladder at the expense of other people. Now, he says, the kind of leadership I've called to be, uh, called to is to be a servant. Paul makes it clear that's what he's called to be. And as Christian leaders, Scripture makes it clear that we're not called to lord it over people, but we're called to serve people, serve God with radical, unconditional, self-sacrificial love. Paul says, I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. And this is what we desire for the leaders that follow that we would be servants. And if we're not, I think you should keep us accountable to that. And so he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Now, what's an apostle? Now, an apostle uh, in the New Testament was a person who was an eyewitness to Jesus. And the Greek word is apostolos, which means one who is sent out. And so Paul says, I've been appointed by God. And in verse 1, I've been set apart. For the gospel of God. Verse 5, he says, through Jesus, we receive grace. That's undeserved love. And apostleship to be sent out. To call the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And so what do we know about the author? We know he's the Apostle Paul, whose life was absolutely turned upside down and transformed by an encounter with Jesus. He was chosen by Jesus to be sent out on mission to share the gospel for the rest of his life. And he was so passionate about this because he knew firsthand that Jesus changes our lives. 
If you're here this morning and you haven't encountered Jesus, I want to tell you this morning that he can change your life as well. That this morning he wants to be in relationship with you. And in a relationship with Jesus, it's the only place we ever find relationship with God the Father. It's the only place we ever find a sense of true identity, true self-worth, and true purpose in our lives. Paul knew this because he'd experienced it. And he couldn't wait to tell everyone all about it. And so who was he writing this letter to? Who are the recipients of this letter? Well, Romans was written, not surprisingly, to the church in Rome. This is a church made up of both Jews and Gentiles, but it was largely a Gentile church. Gentile simply means people who are non-Jewish. And the Apostle Paul's primary mission in life was to take the good message of Jesus to the Gentiles. The Apostle Peter, his mission primarily was to take the news of Jesus to the Jews. Now, they both uh, crossed over because they both desperately wanted to see everybody saved, but that was their primary calling, to go both of those ways. And so Paul to the Gentiles and Peter to the Jews. And so this Roman church had started when some Jewish converts had gone to Rome and they shared the gospel and people had been converted. And since these first converts, the church had supernaturally grown, mainly in small groups, probably in homes, all around the city of Rome. The church in Rome was a healthy and a growing church. And it probably at this point when he, they received the letter, it had probably been going for years. But at this point, the scholars believe that none of the 12 apostles had ever visited there. And so I would call the church in Rome a buzz church. You know those churches you hear about? God's doing incredible things and there's people being saved and it's growing and it's healthy and it's vibrant and it's on fire. And, and I've got to say the deepest desire of my heart is that Follow for decades to come will be a buzz church where people would look at Follow in the opposite region and beyond and see a church that's growing and vibrant and alive and, and moving out to other regions with the gospel. People are being saved. My prayer is that we would be a buzz church, not because we want people to look at us, but because we want people to see Jesus. And I hope for decades to come that through the, the work of Follow Baptist Church that God would do extraordinary things through a bunch of ordinary people. That's the greatest desire of my heart. That's why we planted this church, to see our community transformed and to see people's lives turned upside down in a good way. This is what the Roman church was like. And Paul couldn't wait to get there so that he can be part of what God is doing in their midst. Let's look at verse 8. He says, First, I thank my God through Jesus, through Jesus Christ, for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. Now, this is incredible. There was no technology back then. There's no Facebook. There was no internet. There was no Twitter or Instagram. There may have been MySpace. I'm not sure. But there was no technology to get the word out to the known world. And yet, what does he say? Your faith is being reported. There's a buzz going out from what God's doing in your midst. It's being reported all around the world. Verse 9. God, whom I serve in my spirit, in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be opened up for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. This week I got invited to go over to a staff meeting at City Life Church. Uh, Kim Hammond is the lead pastor of City Life Casey and one of my dearest friends. And there was a guy from America speaking on some stuff I was interested in. And he said, so why don't you come over to our staff meeting? So I went to the staff meeting. It was literally the guest speaker, the small staff at City Life of 70 people. 
and me. And so there I am sitting at City Life, and the, what the guy said was fantastic, and I was encouraged. And then afterwards, we had morning tea. And it was just wonderful to, to talk to other people about what God's doing in their midst and for them to ask about what God's doing in our midst. And so here I am at City Life, a different church, a different denomination, a different suburb, but an incredible encouragement as we shared what God was doing in our midst. It was mutual encouragement. And this is what Paul's saying. I can't wait to get to you. I want to encourage you. And I believe as I meet with you, I'm going to be encouraged by you. And that's what should happen in a community like this. So we share what God's doing in our lives, individually, corporately, as we spur one another on to love and good deeds. We should be mutually encouraged every time we meet. And so this morning, after the service, is an opportunity to find someone. Maybe you don't know them, maybe you do, but speak an encouraging word into their life. I've got a new jacket, it looks great. You can tell me that. I'm, I'm happy to hear it. It's a new jumper as well. Thank you for noticing. Thank you. Your jumper is even better. Stand up. That is a beautiful jumper right there. So encourage Paul after the service. That is the best jumper I've ever seen. And I'm, I, I book holidays for September, but now we're on, on track for the finals. So we beat the Gold Coast. That's a huge achievement. Verse 13, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan for many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had amongst the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am eager, so eager, to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. This is the context of the letter. These are the people that Paul is writing this letter to, and the purpose is really threefold, is to encourage them, is to prepare the way for him to visit, and is to present the basic system of salvation to a church that had not received the teaching of an apostle previously. Well, that brings us to verse 16, my favourite verse in the passage, one of my favourite verses in all of Scripture. The apostle says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power to save every person who believes. It's an interesting thing to say, isn't it? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why would he be ashamed of such good news? Well, in Paul's time, Christians were being ridiculed and persecuted in horrific ways. Paul would have been copying it from everywhere, even those family and friends, those that were closest to him. In many ways, at this point of his life and his missionary journey, he's lost everything for this gospel. And what Paul was saying, I don't care what people say. I don't care what people think. I don't care what people do. This gospel is worth it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to every person who believes. I wonder if we can truly say the same thing in our workplaces, in our friendship circles, in our community. Can we truly say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power to save every person who believes. I think in our postmodern Post-Christian world, a lot of people look at the church and they see it as irrelevant and weak and wishy-washy and insipid and hypocritical. They're completely detached from the church and they view it as a completely irrelevant thing for their own lives. And I think the sad thing about that is this, that they look at us and based on what they see in us, they're not interested in the gospel we have to share. It's a sad reflection of the state of our faith. Because if we are truly people who have received the gospel that Paul will teach us about in the book of Romans, we should be the most alive people on the planet, the most secure, the most confident in Christ, the most peaceful, the most passionate, and the most purposeful people on planet Earth. Sort of people that people should look at and go, wow, 
They really are the light of the world. Everywhere they go, they make things better. They are a people of compassion and grace and love because they are following in the footsteps of their leader, Jesus, a group of people to serve because Jesus said, I didn't come to be served but to serve. A group of people who no matter what they go through have an unshakable faith in the gospel. When things are going great in life, they're a group of people that give all the glory to God. And when things are are not so good in life, what do they do? They still give all the glory to God. Why? Because as verse 17 says, the righteous shall live by faith and we have received the glorious gift of the gospel of God. The power of the gospel is that it gives us the ability to lift our eyes above the things of this earth, of this life, to find hope in things that are eternal. The gospel is not a hope. The gospel is our only hope. The gospel is not a hope, it's our only hope. And Wayne is excited about that this morning. And I'm excited as well, and that makes two, because I'm good at maths. One plus one is two. Is anyone else excited about the gospel? Good. That's why we're here. We're here to remind ourselves of the glorious news of the gospel, of what Jesus has done in our lives. The gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to every person who believes. Now, the word power in the Greek is an interesting word. It's the word dunamis which is the word that we get dynamite from. This week I watched a YouTube video of a 50-storey skyscraper in the US being brought down by dynamite. And I looked at the time on the bottom of the screen and it took 13 seconds to go from being a 50-storey skyscraper to being nothing but a pile of rubble on the ground. What do we know about dynamite? It's explosive. Dynamite breaks down walls, it brings down buildings. It is powerful, it does for us what we could never do in our own strength. And this is exactly what Paul's trying to communicate about the gospel. The gospel is the power of God to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. This is what Paul unpacks in exquisite detail throughout this letter. In the first 18 verses that we've read this morning, the word gospel is mentioned six times in verse 1, 2, 9, 15, 16, and 17. It's called the gospel of God, the gospel of promise, the gospel of God's Son, and the power of God. Paul says in verse 15 that he's eager to preach the gospel. In other words, he's not hesitant. He's not afraid. He's not half-hearted. He's eager. He's an eyewitness of Jesus. And so he's not ashamed. He's eager because he's seen with his own eyes the resurrected Christ and he's now willing to give his life, if necessary, to share this message with everyone. It's very interesting in the Gospels when Jesus rose from the dead and he started appearing to his disciples. And he hadn't yet appeared to Thomas. And Thomas said, well, unless I see him with my own eyes, I'll never believe. Unless I can put my fingers in the nail holes in his hand, unless I can put my hand in the side where he was pierced with the spear, I will not believe that he's been resurrected from the dead. And next minute, what happens? Jesus turns up. He puts his fingers there. He puts his hands there. And guess what happened to Thomas? He believed. Do you know what Jesus said? He said, Thomas, you believe because you have seen. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's everybody in this room. There's a blessing. We live as people by faith. We put our faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so Paul was eager to share this news because he had seen. We should be eager to share it because it's changed our lives and because it's incredibly good news. The gospel simply means 
good news. And Paul's got good news to share. In our culture in 2018, gospel language is something that we don't use in our everyday vocabulary outside of Christianity or a particular style of music. But in Paul's day, the term gospel was well known. Gospel meant good news, and a gospeler or a herald in the Roman world was someone who declared good news. Today, the equivalent we have is Facebook. Every time we want to make an announcement about getting engaged or falling pregnant or having a baby or, or even what we're having for dinner at the restaurant, there seems to be a worldwide competition about who can do it bigger and better and be more creative with that announcement and more spectacular because people want to get our attention. Facebook's a little bit like blowing a horn. Look at me, everyone. Can I get your attention? I need everyone to see this. Look at my meal. So important that you see this. An amazing meal. Meditate on this. Flick over to Instagram. Put a different filter on. And you can see the same meal with a different filter. It tastes just as good. So important, isn't it? We make every announcement on Facebook. Well, back then they didn't have Facebook, but they did have trumpets. And so a trumpeter, a herald, a gospeler would come and he'd beep, 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 and he'd call people to attention. And they would announce important things like the birth of an emperor or the ascension to the throne or the victory of a king in battle. It was good news. And so when Paul used the word gospel, it was a word that was culturally relevant, a word that people generally connected with as good news. And for Paul, this good news was centered around the person of Jesus. Clearly, this is the central theme of Paul's letter to the Romans. And I think he's using this term to capture people's attention. He's saying, listen up, everyone. I've got great news. You might have the good news of the king or the emperor or the nicest meal at the fanciest restaurant. But my gospel is the best news ever because it's the gospel of God himself. And if God is the creator of the universe and he created everything you're enjoying, if he's the saviour of our souls, if he's the one true king, if he made and sustains the entire universe in the palm of his hand, if he is all-powerful and he's our friend and this is his gospel, then it's going to be the best news ever. Paul gives an overview of what this good news is and it's centred around Jesus' life, death and resurrection. We're left in no doubt that Jesus is a central figure of the gospel good news. Let's look at verse 1. Paul says he's been set apart for the gospel of God. Verse 2, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son. In other words, even though the name Jesus isn't mentioned in the Old Testament by name, it all points to him coming, coming as the son of God, coming as the suffering servant, coming as the Messiah, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, that was also prophesied, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, the resurrection is the most important event in human history and it's the event that recognised and validated Jesus' claims about who he was. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul uses a similar checklist He says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, 
that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Peter and the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, but by this stage some had fallen asleep. These are the very things of greatest importance when it comes to the gospel. And if today is an overview for this series, an overview of the gospel, it's important to remind ourselves of those things. That Jesus died for your sin and for mine. We deserve to pay that penalty. We're the ones who have done the wrong things. And yet Jesus died in our place. He took our sin upon himself in church. That's incredible news for each and every one of us. Because I don't know how, how you feel, but I feel like my sin piles up. Our sins pile up, don't they? Every time we cut someone down with our words, the times we fail to forgive as we've been forgiven, the times we gossip, the times we're proud and our pride has caused us to be selfish and self-righteous, all the times we've hurt other people. There's things we do in secret that cause us to feel a sense of shame and condemnation. All those things, they keep piling up. And those things, they keep us out of relationship with God. It seems as we look at all the sins and as we consider the sin of our life, it, it seems insurmountable. And it is. It is insurmountable. There's nothing we can do to remove that obstacle. Our sin separates us from relationship with the holy God who created us. The door to relationship has been slammed shut by our own sin and there's nothing we can ever do to pry it open. And so Jesus did it for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He paid our price. He took our penalty. And as he stretched out his hands on the cross, he said, it's finished. That's God's word over our lives in Christ, that all that sin and shame and brokenness, it's finished in Jesus. I hope and pray this morning that if you've received Jesus here as your Lord and Savior, that you can feel the weight of those things come off your shoulders. And at the same time, I pray, that you can feel and appreciate the gravity of Jesus' sacrifice for us. Jesus didn't stay on the cross. He was buried in the grave. On the third day, he rose again. He's not in the cross anymore. That's why we have an empty cross here this morning. He's not in the grave anymore because he rose from the dead. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. He is reigning and ruling in church. He has promised. He is coming back for his people. Jesus defeated death and the power of death and sin, and in him we can as well. At the cross and at the grave, what Jesus did was powerful, and it was the equivalent of dynamite. It took 13 seconds for that skyscraper to come to the ground, but in an instant in Jesus' resurrection, that huge obstacle, that mountain of sin that we all face, was exploded in an instant when Jesus rose from the dead. The barrier was removed. The door was open. And when we receive what Jesus did by faith, we now step through an open door back into relationship with the God who created us. That is the best news we can ever have in our lives, that we could be in relationship with God. Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy. Jesus' death and resurrection was like a weapon of mass destruction against the work of the enemy. And at the same time, on the other hand, it was an instrument of mass redemption for all those who put their faith in him. The same Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, the life has opened up the opportunity for us to come back into relationship with God. And the second we put our faith in him, in an instant, that barrier is removed. We are forgiven. The door is open and we step back into relationship with God the Father. This church is the power of the gospel. It's explosive. 
It removes what we can never remove ourselves. It changes our hearts and it changes our lives. You've got to say that the benefits of faith in Christ are quite amazing. To know forgiveness, to know the freedom that comes with being forgiven and accepted by God, to have the hope and love of Christ in our lives is stunning, life-changing. But I want to finish today by saying that the greatest gift of the gospel is actually God himself. I don't think we can ever start to comprehend how magnificent it will be to live in the presence of the almighty God of love for all eternity. I think there are profound moments in life when we experience a real depth of love that is life-changing. The moment a child is born, the moment we marry our sweetheart, the moment when someone does something so sacrificial for us that it stirs our hearts. These are incredible moments, but I really believe that they're only a shadow. They're an expression of the Creator's character and a tiny little glimpse of a love that we can never have even imagined the intensity of. The love of God that we can experience through Christ. You see, the longing of every human heart is to be loved. But as good as love can be in this life, it will always leave us longing for something more because eternity has been set in the heart of man. We're created to be loved by our Creator. Being with God should be the ultimate goal of our lives because He is love, perfect love, unconditional love, eternal love. John Piper says in his book, God is the Gospel, if he is not satisfying to be with, there is no salvation. If he is not merely the rope that pulls us from the threatening waves, he is a solid beach under our feet. He's the air in our lungs. He's the beat of our heart. He's the warm sun on our skin, the song in our ears, in the arms of our beloved. The supreme demonstration of God's love was the sending of his son to die for our sins. And to rise again so that sinners might have the right to approach God and might have the pleasure of his presence forever. The ultimate gift of the gospel is God himself. And that's our hope. That's the power of the gospel. That's what's on offer for every person who trusts in Jesus. I want to finish telling the story of what's happened in the last week on Monday, Tuesday. I had the privilege of conducting Ray Granger's mum's funeral. Her name was Gladys. She lived to 96 years of age. She lived a very full life, a life full of great memories, experiences and love. She was a person of strong and dedicated faith. Funerals are always hard, but they're always good as well to reflect on a person's life. And when we reflected on Gladys's life through the eulogy and the audiovisual tribute, the stories over lunch, It was clear that she'd experienced and achieved so many wonderful things in her life. And there's no doubt that she's left a legacy in the lives of her family and friends. All the things she enjoyed on earth were wonderful. But the truth is this, that everything she enjoyed, all those great moments on earth, all those things that, those successes, those things she owned, those things that she did, the truth is that they're all now gone. They've all disappeared. They've all faded away. Everything except one thing. Everything except the hope of a loving embrace beyond anything we've ever experienced by a God who loves us beyond our wildest imagination and Gladys will now enjoy that forever. It's not a bad trade, is it? What a magnificent hope we have in the gospel. On a day like that, we don't grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope, but on a time like that, on a day like that, we rest in and trust in the eternal promises of God through his son. Church, that is the power of the gospel, that not even death, Not even death 
can leave us in despair. Death for those in Christ is really just a transition to something even greater. It's the power of the gospel. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is from, by faith from first to last, just as it's written, the righteous will live by faith. And so I want to finish this morning with a question. And the question is simply this. If you haven't yet trusted in Jesus, what's holding you back? Today in an instant, you can experience the power of the gospel to step from faith, by faith, from death to life, from separation into relationship with a loving God who created you to be in relationship with him. Thanks for listening to our message this week. If it stirred your heart and you would like to talk to someone more about it or pray with someone, please get in touch with us at info at follow.church and one of our pastoral team will get back to you as soon as possible. If you'd like more information about Follow and our various ministries, including weekly service times and location, please check out our website, www.follow.church. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.